Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, if you can, take a second real quick and just hit that subscribe button or follow me wherever you're listening um, and follow me on social media. That will help so that you won't miss any future episodes of the show. Uh, now, my guest today, Eric Boatwright, is in a band called Shallow Side. A great band. Uh, the rock band from Northern Alabama, and they toured with uh, Saliva and Puddle of Mud. And they also played a lot of those big rock festivals alongside bands like Buck Cherry, Saving Abel, Five Finger Death Punch. They did a show with uh, one of the festivals had Kicks and Striper on them, so that's kind of cool. Good mix there. And uh, their music is just good, straight ahead rock. I really love the song Sound the Alarm. Check that one out. That's my favorite. It's like their most popular Spotify song. It's really good. And uh, they have some new covers out now. Uh, one, Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins, uh, a Journey song, Separate Ways, and the Foreigner song, Jukebox Hero. Uh, they're really good, so we're going to talk about that, as well as some upcoming shows and music that they have going on. And we get the whole backstory with the band and Eric. Uh, really good stuff, fun conversation. Check it out. Please welcome Eric Boatwright to the Chuck Shoe Podcast. How you doing, Eric? We are here. I'm doing good, man. I'm excited. Holidays are upon us. I'm, I'm pumped. All right. Yeah. You guys have got any shows lined up? Um, we had at, I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's okay. Ringing off the hammer here. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, we, we did. We, um, we had some shows, uh, some COVID hit our team recently. So we, um, I think you have a couple local shows, right? They, they were in the Midwest. Those oh, okay. shows were going to be in the Midwest. We are, um, we're from the Southeast. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's all, it's all relatively local at this point. We've been traveling to these places for, you know, 10 years. So. Right. But it's like, I mean, it's more like a, it's like a small headlining gig. It's not like right. a giant tour that you're going like, cause you've had, yeah, you've done these were, big arena tours and stuff and festivals and all those kinds of shows too. Right. Right. Yeah. Th- these were, uh, these was, these were just small club shows that, um, just, just hammering out new material, working, uh, a lot of, stuff into our sets that we haven't been able to perform with because of uh the pandemic or whatever so so um really a lot of these shows uh this year and last year was uh was for us more than anything else we just wanted to get back out and and start playing we toured when we first started playing music i mean we were playing you know we would have played seven shows a week if um if the the venues would have had us but I mean, we were playing, you know, five, six shows a week for, for, you know, past 10 years. So whenever the whole pandemic thing hit, we, um, stopped touring as much. And then we was, it was the itch started getting bad. Sure. On. We, like, oh, we got to get back to the stage. So what Whatever. do you, yeah. What do you do as a working musician when you can't tour? Because I mean, back in the day, obviously musicians made money off the album sales. You guys don't, I know you don't make much off the album sales and I guess some merchandise, but most of your bread and butter is tour touring and shows, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, from, from my opinion and from my view, um, it, it crippled a lot of what I would consider, um, the, the midline of the music industry, the, the touring artists, the, the mm-hmm. bands who you could particularly see, uh, any any given day of the of the month in uh, a, a location in America, there I mean, there's hundreds hundreds of not just rock bands, you know, the, the metal bands or or um, bands that are just starting up or or uh, you know, country or pop or hip hop or what whatever you uh, enjoy in music. There's a, there's a a working class 
of that as well. And when those people were told to, you know, sit down and shut up, that was, uh, <clears throat> I can imagine it hit everyone kind of the same. Uh, we all just went home and was just like, shit, what do we do next? You know, like, seriously, what, what did you, did you have to get the, uh, can you get unemployment? Can you collect unemployment as a musician or how's that? Like, how do you pay the bills? You can't, you can, but it's about, uh, at that point it's, it's really more <laughs> about, um, if you had established a, a more, um, I guess business, you know, like, okay. uh, if you, like a more licensed style business. Cause yeah, cause uh, I had could, a, I had a comedian on and he, he said like he figured out a way because that's like the similar thing. It's worse for comedians and actors because like not, well, not with the pandemic, but also just like if they if they get a gig and then they're in this movie or whatever. And then like the movie ends. And then he said that they, they, he found a way to collect unemployment from that, which I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I imagine that you can. We didn't. Mm. Um, there's just so much red tape to, mm. to jump through to, okay. to get there. And then the the slight obligation that you may have had to pay that back um, um, was terrifying enough for me to be like, you know what, bro, I'm a, f- I'm a flip burgers before I get in trouble with the IRS. Like, I, <laughs> I <can't run>. like <laughs> Did you like, have to do that? Do you have to do some side work or something or do, or do lessons or something? Or uh, You know, actually uh, as soon as the pandemic hit, I, I, I panicked because this was the first time in maybe well a decade that my income had hit an all-time zero like there was none left there's none coming in uh panic that's scary and so i i got a job at two retail places applied got the job like signed up clocked in walked in was was trying to put together like two jobs i was just going to start working two jobs and you know, music was going to be um, on the back burner for me because I, I have a daughter and my thought first was my family. I was like, yo, I got to, you know, provide for, for my team. And then uh, luckily the team that I'm on um, pulled, pulled me in and, and uh, I was able to start work of working um, alongside or with four, our manager. And, uh, and he kind of put me on to, to a gig and, and now I'm able to like bounce and, and kind of do both. So I'm blessed. Uh, our team is blessed. I, I got extremely lucky and I'm, I'm super appreciative of, of that. A lot of people didn't get that, but, um, I, th- I think, I think we all kind of, as a, as a musician or a touring artist, we all kind of like just sat back and, um, watched. That's the best way that huh. I think that that happens is, uh, observe. Okay. Get to write and start start to recreate, start to get back in creative mode and and understand that like, all right, things are a little different now. What are we what are we doing? Who are we? Where are we at? Where what are we shooting for? What, what are we fighting for? Type situation for, you know, a musician. So that that those are always like really uh, inspirational or creative moments. So you can hmm. take those time and, and write. And that's that's in that's particularly what we're up to now. Okay. Yeah. So if we back up and, and to tell your story kind of from the beginning, cause it's kind of inspirational, I think where you started, like, so you started as this kid in, uh, uh, you grew up in Alabama, is it correct? North, Northern Alabama, yeah. North Alabama. Yeah. yeah North Alabama called uh, bug tussle. Oh, oh bug tussle. Okay. I didn't know that part of it. Yeah. But it's interesting. Cause you took an, you have an interesting path to rock and roll. You first got into music and you started getting into Motown and then hip hop 
and then rock and roll. Like that's kind of an interesting uh, way to get there. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, I, it, it wasn't normal. I'll tell you that, but I, I was actually, uh, I was, I was scrolling through a few of your podcasts. I'm a fan, by the way, thanks for having me on. Mm. I just want to say that again, but, uh, I thank was, you. I was scrolling wow. through and I was watching and, uh, overheard you say that, um, before rock and roll for you was more of like pop and hip hop. Yeah. And I, I think, um, maybe a lot of people made that transition when they were youthful because right. Accessibility rock and roll is just like, although it's still on the shelves and you can still reach it, pop music is forced into your face where rock and roll is just like, Oh, it's sitting, sitting well, right back, back there on the top shelf. Like you want to, you gotta, you gotta work for it a little bit. No, but it, see, I, and you grew up in the Bible belt, so I don't know what it was like down there, but I grew up in a Catholic family. And so I was always scared of like heavy metal. I thought it was like the devil's music. I thought I was going to go to hell if I listened. I mean, literally that's what I thought when I was a kid, I was like, I was like scared of it. So I, I never, and then I started getting into it and I was like, Oh, I, I'm listening. I'm not going to hell. I kind of like this music. So then I started yeah. getting more into it. But yeah, I mean, did you have some of that growing up? In the, I mean, the Bible Belt, uh, I was assuming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we, we grew up in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Like we were, we were, the, we were the reason <laughs> the why buckle. the belt is still held together. That thing was the latch. Um, that, <laughs> I've never heard that before. That. That's funny. So for us to be like, hey, you're going to go to hell if you, if you listen to rock. That was like list number 7,000. Okay. It, right. it was the, but because like when the things that you were going to hell for where I'm from, uh, well, it's, it's, it would take an, an act of Congress to, to complete the, uh, the litigation <laughs> to understand <laughs> what all you were going to hell for, uh, regardless. Right. So when, when music was, um, given to me i mean it, it was first given in the form of pop music on pop radio where i got three older sisters and that's what was chosen i didn't get to choose those things however I'm, i can't deny that like max martin was making every bit of those beats in the 90s and i was like yo this stuff is fire backstreet boys is my game son and and then like as those things started to progress i understood music more and more i fell like right into the world of um, what's, I guess what's considered post grunge or the active rock world of, you know, the uh, breaking Benjamin shine down uh, three days, grace uh, Chevelle, the, the tool um, all, those, those bands, mm -hmm. the arena rock bands, the Nickelback, the Creed, uh, the, those were the, my first introduction to uh, um, modern distortion guitar. And that was milk and honey <laughs> for my brain. I was like, mm, that's uh, what is this crunchy, tasty stuff right here? And the lyrics kind of the lyrics and melody like spoke to me the most. You know, if uh, for me, if it wasn't, you know, listening to some some pretty heavy uh, hip hop music, it was I was listening to rock music and then it became more and more. We ended up finding and running into each other uh, after school. Keith and Seth, myself, and we would just start jamming those same bands. We was jamming the, those tunes. Uh, the, the tunes went to more classic rock. And then they, you know, we just started diving in and writing our own kind of tunes. And then, you know, it, uh, it kind of spiraled into, uh, into the, the ship that we drive today. Okay. That's kind of where all that came from. Yeah. So when you're just like a teenager though, and starting out and you're 15 years old 
you're kind of getting into some trouble. You're stealing Xanaxes and you're selling weed. You're doing you're like a drug dealer, basically, right? Were you doing the drugs too, or are you just selling them? Uh, I mean, I I mean, I I I was more about making uh making money. I didn't I didn't have uh I wasn't able to to get like free lunches from school. Oh, really? So that was like my only way of getting lunch at school. And I'm I'm six foot two. I'm two hundred pounds. Um, hungry. You know what I mean? Like that's shocking. Yeah, because I used to work at a school and we had like I swear like half the kids on the school got the free lunch. So that's interesting that they wouldn't give it to you. Yeah, I, I didn't get the free lunches, and then I uh, also didn't get like uh, allowances or like lunch money and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, I had to make do. I had to make do um, to make to make things work, and that uh, that allowed me, and also gave me a really skewed view of what work is, because I mean, you you would sixteen, seventeen years old, you're you're shaking the hand of a thirty. 35 year old dude and being like, yeah, I'll come and work for you, um, for eight hours a day. And over the, you know, summertime, or, or if I could get four or five hours after school, I will, I'll do that. And then they're like, all right, yeah, I'm going to give you $7 and 25 cents. And I'm like, <laughs> you can do for an hour. You want an hour of my time for less than like what you would charge for a menu item. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not, this is not going to work out. I'm going to take my $50 and I'm going to go buy some prescription drugs. And that was not the, um, the thing I should have been doing. I understand that. I went yeah. To jail. But you That's did. Boring. Oh, you did go to jail. <laughs> yeah, oh shit. I, yeah, I, I was always in trouble. I was always the trouble, uh, kid. Yeah. But I mean, it, it was uh, basically my opportunity. You know, I was, I was reaching for, for anything. I didn't really have, um, someone, to grab me by the hand, pull me up and be like, Hey, you're going to, you got to do better than this or you're going to wind up dead or in jail. And it took, it took some, some near death and in jail experiences to, um, to, to make me wake up to that. But that, I mean, that wait, that what was, was the near death? Was that from drugs or from like something else? Um, well, I, I face planted uh, while we were actually on tour, we were touring with Save and Able and we were in, Jacksonville, Florida. I, I took a face plant on an off night, um, kind of curbs stomped myself somehow. Uh, and I severely fractured. I, I basically like shattered my orbital bone right here and had uh, a minor brain contusion and a, uh, I forget what all the, the, the medical terminology was, but anyway, I was, I was in ICU for, um, I was in the trauma unit for, uh, I think about like 12, 15, 15 hours and like the ICU for the next two days and Ouch. ended up walking out, uh, fortunately, but, um, yeah, just, uh, just living life in the fast lane. That'll, that'll, that'll do it to you. Hmm. <laughs> that'll do, that'll wow. You. Okay. So yeah. So, but anyway, so you, you, you also worked all these crappy jobs, the fast food, you did all the restaurant jobs and all that shit. And uh, yeah, I thought sure. this was really interesting that you learned this really quickly that you, you, you learned this at a young age. It took me like 40 years to learn this, but you learned this like in your teens that if it was something that you weren't interested in, you're going to lose interest quick. Like, you know, so like you were doing construction work and all this stuff. You realize like 
this is not my passion. So then that, like that was allowed you to kind of really focus on music. Uh, it forced me to forced focus you. on music. Yeah. It forced me to, um, and, and I always say this because I, I heard, um, I heard Ron White say it once before, uh, super inspirational guy, hilarious com- comedian. Mm-hmm. But, um, he had said once before that he was just taking his path of, of least resistance. It just wound him into a world of, uh, comedic efforts and, uh, having a good time with his friends. Lo and behold, it became an absolute sensational success because of his, you know, hard work and effort. But that basically was the same, uh, you know, format. Like I, I would try to work at a restaurant and it was, it was, dude, I was forcing myself to show up there and to stay there and to have to listen to the cook say one more like snide remark because they didn't enjoy what they were doing or, um, on the other side of the fence, how about this? Like you hating what you're doing and looking over and seeing someone enjoy what they're doing. And mm. you're just like, ah, like I'm like, I'm happy for you, but like, this makes me feel like I suck even more. Cause like, I don't enjoy none of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you walk out to the customers and like that, that, uh, that was always a, um, a situational thing there too. So good or bad, you know, so the, the restaurant world, the construction world of uh, telemarketing, um, I mean, you, you name it, I basically played a part in, uh, nearly every, every industry that they could possibly think of. And yeah, uh, I am a type person that, um, you know, you hear a lot about the, the, big resignation or all these people that was just like walking out of jobs or the, 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 the new generation of, of employees that are coming onto the workforce. And one thing is happening and they're just like tossing up their hands. Like, bro, I'm out like deuces. Like I see, I see you guys never, I don't, yeah. I don't care. Keep your job, keep the paycheck that, that I was supposed to earn for the two hours that I was here. I'm out. Like, I everyone's like, Oh, they don't know about hard work. And I see that. And I'm just like, I, you don't have to be there. If you're not happy, you got right. yeah, that stuff is within yourself. You got to search for that stuff. And well, and I had this argument with my friend because I say I think people need to like f- do something that they're excited about. Oh, well, then nobody would ever want to be a janitor. And I'm like, well, I think some people do actually. I see a lot of those maintenance workers. I, I used to work in the school, and some of those maintenance workers were really happy. They were independent. They just went out and they fixed things and they worked on stuff and they felt a sense of purpose because they fixed things and they felt they liked doing that. And I was jealous of a lot of them, to be honest with you, because I'm work. I was a school counselor and I'm dealing with all this bullshit and they're just out there doing their job. Nobody's hassling them. Like, doesn't look so bad. So, I mean, you got to just find like the right fit. And it sounds like for yeah. you, this fit was not working in a restaurant or, or fast food. That was like, or construction. Right. It, it Like you're, you're a hundred percent correct. Like it, like that, that mentality isn't for like, um, people who think like, Oh, well, because I, I don't want to be a janitor. So I have to be a celebrity. That's right. That's not, that's not the shot. Yeah. It's exactly like there, there. There's a sense of purpose, entitlement, strength, and endurance that comes with literally everything. If, if you're trying to be, uh, the, the president that holds a pretty prestigious, you know, position in, um, in a field, like it takes hard work, dedication, but it also takes some, ter- some sort of passion because you're not mm-hmm. going to just put up with anything until that it has its payoff. And the, the same way that you could be a president, you could 
be a garbage man. Those things in my in my mind, they're the same. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're literally the same thing. Which which person is happier? Who there you wants go. It? Yeah. You know who wants it because like the garbage man. If you take him, put him in the presidential suit, he's just going to be pissed off because he's in he's in a monkey suit. He's like, battle. This is not for me. I can't. I can't be happy with this. Put him in a jumpsuit on a truck and eyes light up. There's mm-hmm. fire there. Exactly. There's a difference. Yeah. There. Well, and, not, so, and just because, like you said, you, you, be a celebrity or be like people want to be musicians. Uh, maybe you can't be a musician, but how many people can find a passion for doing the lighting or, you know, uh, I don't know, being a roadie of some sort or doing yeah, podcasting absolutely. like myself? I can't play an instrument. I sucked at music. I tried to be. I wanted to be a musician, but I don't have any talent. So I'm doing this. I get to talk to you guys. I think it's just as fun. So my my first um, music inspiration came from these particular type interviews, man. Honest, honest to God, really? like when I, I was learning that. Um, musicians had a voice and people were interested in talking with them. That gave me a chance at 13, 14 years old, because like, let's be honest, a musician who's been hard at their craft for 10, 15, maybe even 20 years with two, three albums under their belt. Don't really care to have a intriguing, interesting conversation with a 13 or 14 year old inspired human. They will out of, sheer like just people being good humans but when you're able to like take that and and have those questions come from an educated person like yourself someone who's been able and blessed enough to experience the the walk of you know touring and being a musician and having that conversation as a third person for me i was like this is why this is what's up this is this is so cool this is like being able to pick the brain of the songwriter is uh was it was an absolute inspiration so man you, you uh you're doing a you're doing a lot i'll tell you that there's there's a lot of i i know for a fact that there's guaranteed some kids that are gonna gonna get a hold of this or or i know that they've already watched several of your other interviews and they're looking around like hey i can do this yeah so what gave yeah what what gave you the actual because in 2000 i think it was 2011 so 10 years ago uh, this, this month, November, 2011. So it's like your 10 year anniversary of when you, you know, you quote jumped, you guys all jumped, you all, the whole band quit their jobs. Were you scared of failing at that point? Or, uh, like you said, if you, uh, I think what was the quote you said? Something like if you, if you didn't do this, you were going to become a drug addict or in jail or doing the nine to five, like we talked about and hating life. So you just, that's when you knew, like, you just got to go all in. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't scared. I, you know, I tell you what I was scared of. I was scared of not jumping. I was more terrified that um, the quicksand would start to eat not only my feet, then my ankles, you know, and then my knees mm-hmm. and then my hips where I could move that. that right. So instead what, of a fear of failure, it was a fear of like of not trying. It's, it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the fear of not being able to fail. That's what scared me the most. Like, um growing up in the particular situation that I did in it growing up in, in the trailer park where I grew up failure was um inevitable you're gonna get that hmm. that came with the territory failure had to happen because no one was going to teach you you had to trip and fall no one hmm. was going to help you understand that the that the, the pot's hot you're going to reach up there and touch that thing and it was going to burn your hand and you're going to be like ooh. 
that you can't touch that stuff no more. So failure was inevitable. So failure really never scared me. But the fact of sitting on those front porches, looking around at uh, friends and uh, older peers, even the, the parents of my friends and understanding that this is where they grew up. There's a cycle here. It's a spiral um, of quicksand and, it, and it'll grab you and it'll, it'll hold on to you. And a lot of people find happiness and comfort in that. And I'm not trying to take that away, but it wasn't mine. That was for sure not my comfort zone. And I unknowingly made it very obvious that that was uh, not something that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know at the time that I was just running amok on my town and my city, just like raising hell, just going crazy all the time that I was begging to, or, or I was, I was, I wasn't begging. I was fighting to get out, whatever it took, mm-hmm. whatever it took. There and must've been, going, yeah. And there must've been some sort of signs from the band, some encouragement that you guys had enough talent to do this. Right. Cause you all decided we can do this. And we, you know, there you had some good shows under your belt at that point. I'm assuming when you decided to quit. Yeah, we, um, we had, we had established a, a really strong fan base, um, right there in Coleman, Alabama, where we could play a home show to, to several hundred people. Oh. And, and, uh, we were able to take that same kind of show and do it in Georgia the same way we could do it in Tennessee and Florida, uh, Mississippi, the Carolinas, and then it turned in like to to the whole southeastern world of America, and then we turned it into the East Coast, and then we started you know networking and finding friends that were also doing the same things, and you know we developed a community. Yeah, so explain the community thing because so you went to cities and you would sell your CDs at like a Walmart or the mall or something for a dollar, and then you would recruit those fans to come to your shows that night. And, uh, and also, I'm assuming to get to like your social media and stuff like, so how do you find people that like rock? Would you just find kids with like rock t-shirts or, or how would you just grab any kid or how did, how did, how did that situation work? Uh, we were, uh, we were basically panhandling <laughs> just like some, some absolute, uh, like the, the corner of the street or at the stoplight with the sign up. That's just like, Hey, we're clearly panhandling over here and we got in trouble for that too but i'll tell you the but that's not panhandling story. if you're giving away a cd though i see i think that's okay right i mean and every time we got in trouble with it it was literally giving the 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 power that be the authority that was coming for us with with we we left with them having a cd as well a handshake <laughs> and saying thanks <laughs> Thanks for not taking us out this this round. We'll leave because we're not trying to like get on anyone's nerve or, or be, yeah. you know, um, in the way. We're just we don't know what we're doing, man. And we're doing all we can to make it work. You know what I mean? But so, that's like hustling. Uh, I mean, that, I think we that's hustling. Absolute, absolute hustling. Um, so yeah, it was it was a wild it was a wild start. I'll tell you the particular story that got that whole mentality started was the fact that we had a booking agent. Um, pretty close out of the gates in the summer of 2011 and uh the the booking agent had put us out um we we were booking our our own shows um let me take that back it was two i believe it's 2012 i don't know i'm aging in dog years anyway so uh Mm. 
it was a, it was a, probably around the spring spring or summertime of 2012. We had a booking agent that booked us a string of shows, probably somewhere around like 45 shows. It was two months of dates in the oh. books, and the first week went by was uh, sketchy, a little decent, but sketchy. Um, second week goes by, and we understand that a lot of these places d- doesn't know that we're supposed to be there. Some of the places we're showing up to are already closed. We realize and put the story together that our booking agent is an absolute fraud. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, he, po- he poops the bed. We catch the underbreak of it, and, and like we're struggling. We're freaking out. We're in Parkersburg, West Virginia, terrified. Um, winter is coming, and I don't know if you know much about the, the Appalachians over there, but when the winter hits... It comes with like a Ric Flair slap to the face, and it's it's chilling. We're all from North Alabama, so when that cold and that snow was hitting, we were like, hey, I don't even know what this stuff is, and I'm terrified. Hmm. Get me out of here. So we went into Walmart, um, and and I wouldn't suggest anyone doing this, but I was just at I was at a, I was at a place in my life where I needed to make things work. I stuffed a roll of 500 CDs. Um, I walked straight up out the door, went straight to a laptop and I burned every one of those CDs, um, with two songs on them. And it was the songs, uh, fear and tonight and crutch was the first two songs that shallow side ever recorded, um, by Travis Wyrick. And with those CDs that we had, I would just literally panhandle i just run into to anyone who looked like they'd be willing to just speak words to to us seth was doing this uh, our bass player at the time uh, was doing it and then um heath our drummer was doing it as well and we would just talk to anyone who'd be willing to listen it's like hey man listen uh we uh, we started this band we got these rock songs uh i'll give you the cd you got it you got a dollar can i can i can i sell you this cd for a dollar and probably half the time they'd be like, yeah, I got a dollar. The other half, they'd, they'd be like, no, I don't want it. And then we would say, here, you just keep it. You just keep it. Find us on social media. And then you tell us what you think we should do. You know, you, you like it. You don't like it. Like, like give us, give us some honest feedback. We ran in to a hand, maybe a hundred people that ended up, you know, buying the, the CD. Uh, we made, I, th- I think after a weekend we had collected somewhere around like 400 bucks. And i tell you what, for four dudes that had zero money and all of their dreams were crushed in about three different venues um, it, with, without knowledge or expert advice on what we should do, that $400 was like an absolute gold mine. We were like, you know what sells it? Personality. You know what makes the difference? Connection that's what changes it. So we saw that and, and used the inspiration of it. We ended up running into, um, a, uh, a venue owner that was in Parkersburg, West Virginia at the time. He booked us a show and let us play in his venue that week. We played, um, once during the weekday and then he let us play one on the weekend while we were figuring out new routing, new venues, putting this thing back together and still continuing, you know, an eight hour shift of like promoting, 
or panhandling. How okay. Like to look at it. And then, so are you using that money to like pay for like a hotel and stuff, or? No, nah, we're sleeping in a truck. Literally sleeping in a suburban. But and then it's like freezing cold weather, and you just deal with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. We um, we we had the mentality, man. Like we're gonna earn it. We have to earn it. We got to put it in. Like and it it wasn't like um. Huh. It wasn't like no. Let's let's uh let's do it the hard way. It it was like, do we want to pay eighty eight dollars for a room tonight, or do we want to have lunch all next week? And we were like, I'm getting hungry, dog. Like I, I I'll sleep here. I'll sleep here if I can eat the rest of the week. That's what I need to do. Wow. So that became kind of the 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 baseline mentality was like hustle 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 don't blink don't sleep just keep rolling keep pushing do do all you can and that show um picked up probably 200 300 people uh at that at that club that weekend and so some of these kids are from the people that you've uh quote unquote panhandled like you've handed the cd so not only are you making 400 dollars, but you're making some fans right because they're finding you on social media and they're coming to the shows and yeah we legitimately made friends like like honest friends and strangely enough the people that we met on that week that weekend when we went back to do it again like they've i, I talked to them still to this day like and, and they remember that that like i tell this story and people are like nah that's not no that's one of those stories that people say that they did but they didn't actually do yeah. because they had it easier right. than that. like i know this guy that was over there and he was doing this at the time in his life and i met him inspired him he inspired me to to make a change and, and to push harder and and now here we are still friends you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so it's like the, the we we were literally developing friendships uh but that particular time frame in that town um that enough people were were garnered to where we actually ran into the the dj at the local radio station uh the bear I believe it was like one of three won the bear in, in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, Big Rick was was the was the guy's name, and uh, he's a promoter now in West Virginia. Still a good friend of mine, uh, but but he allowed us to put our name on the radio station, and that was the point for us. We hit the gas pedal. Mm. We just started pushing. We were like, "This is how we have to do it." We went from there to Ohio to Michigan, to Illinois, to Indiana, to Wisconsin, North and South Dakota in the summertime, not the wintertime. But we would do the same thing. Hit the cities, push push the name out, do what, what you could to um, get get your CD into someone else's hand. And so did you continue to do this quote-unquote panhandling like for like years, or was this just like that one week that you did it? Uh, two or three years. Yeah, we would, we did it for two or three years afterward. It might have been wow. 2015 that we were like, all right, I'm tired of, you know, doing a 7 a.m. morning radio show and then turn around and hitting a mall for five hours and then going to the venue, loading in, sound check. You know, it, it started turning into three jobs really, really okay. quickly. So, but so at the beginning, when you started doing that panhandling thing, did you feel better about that than say working the restaurant or fast food jobs or whatever, or the construction? Yeah, absolutely. Cause you knew there was a purpose to it. That was like fitting what you wanted to do. Right. Oh, you disappeared. Right. Oh, oh you're back. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So uh, that made more sense than it didn't, it, but then after a few years, then you're like, okay, like I think we've done enough of the hustling thing. Like you kind of had, but cause I think it was a 2016, 
Uh, that was when Loudwire said that you you they gave you the best new artist, best new artist of 2016. So that gave you some street cred at that point. Yeah, we were that that was um uh well I in my personal um take on on that was more like it gave us industry credit rather than street credit. Because, oh, yeah, like, yeah, industry you, credit. You, yeah, that's a better term for it. You already had yeah, street you're, credit. <laughs> you're on yeah, the streets, we, literally. We were the streets. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you want to you want to find someone on the streets? Like, we we're, we're the boys. Like, we're we're already, we're already out here. They're, yeah. Like, people roll through and they're like, "Oh, so and so's coming. Uh, oh, who's opening up the show? Is Shallow Side? Where are they from? Are they from here? Like, no, they're they're literally like 15 hours away from home. Again, they're up here again. Like we we were doing 200 plus shows a year for a decade. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it was a what a roller coaster. That's cool. Looking yeah, and then so time. that's awesome. Then 2018, you had the Origins album, and then the Can, Can You Hear Me that that got some radio airplay and that charted on the rock charts, and that must have been exciting for you. Yep, um, that was actually the third one to chart from that EP, which is really cool. Uh, we we led that EP off with uh, with Rebel, um, which which helped us get on a lot of uh, radio stations and declare like a, a little little footmount spot. We released Renegade, which is our cover of uh, Sticks' song, which which did uh, great. Set us up for a release with Can You Hear Me, and I, that one charted. I'm not sure what the number was that that went to, but yeah, it that one again gave us a, a little more of a, a defining. Um, industry credit that allowed you know a lot of a lot more of the the people who made money in the industry look over and be like okay all right i see you I yeah see that you have been working i see that you're putting in the work and and i see that it's not you know smoke and mirrors that, that you're pushing you're 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 making an effort for it and you know tip of the hat sort of thing that's cool yeah and then that song uh, also on that album my addiction i was listening to that today and i was like wait a minute did I hear a banjo on that? Whose idea was it to put the band? I like that personally, but I don't know if some people might. Did some people not like the banjo on that song? I liked it. Uh, the the banjo took a strange turn for radio because there was too many, too many, too too many rock and roll uh, program directors that heard a banjo, a distortion banjo, at the beginning of a rock and roll song. It was just like not on my radio station. Uh. <sighs> Uh, what do you what we're from alabama right yeah come on let us in we're ready to party uh but but um then then you had like a a lot of people that was like this is fresh this is brand new this is this hasn't been touched before i enjoy it um we i think that if i remember correctly when we recorded that song the 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 banjo piece was already on electric guitar and the distortion was already there and it was set up and and we were all just kind of scratching our heads of what could be the sound that would Hmm. make this song just pop make it more fun make it jump make it something else what would be fun and i remember we were in orlando florida I, i remember specifically looking into the live room of recording typically where they record drums and stuff like that. And in the corner was this long black banjo and it just looked, it looked grisly over there. And I think it was either our, our guitarist or our bassist at the time uh, was like, Hey, 
let's just see what the riff sounds like on a banjo. And we we sat down, rehearsed it a few times. It was like, hey, this is nice. This is this feels fresh. This feels like a like a nice taste, and it fits, which was an interesting thing. You know, if he, if you if you put a banjo on a Metallica song, probably not going to feel right. But banjo on Shallow Side fits the fitting image to, mm-hmm. to fit. So it, it was fun. It did get some some left and some right, but you know. That's that's always good too. Uh, Travis Weirich, the the producer whom we produced uh, Fearance Tonight and uh, Crutch with our our first two songs that were released, he said that uh, that was that was one of his biggest fears as as mm. a musician was um, to have someone not think he was good or bad. Like mm. he he didn't want to be um, looked at as gray. You know what right. I mean? Okay. No, that makes sense. Neither good nor bad. Yeah. You almost want to be a little bit polarizing as a musician in a way. Right. And it's very biblical too. That I mean, you look back and uh, and not not to not to get biblical or religious, but that's where I grew up, so I know a lot about that stuff. But uh, it, like when I, I think they said like the the lukewarm particular situation. You want it to be hot. Or you want it to be cold. Yeah. If you're in the no, middle, that makes sense. It's, it's give or take. Yeah. That's yeah, how you so. know you've made it too when you have people that don't like you too. Cause it's polarizing. Yeah. 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 So that Saints and yeah, the Saints and Sinners album though, that's a big one that has 8 million streams on Spotify. But tell me about the producer because he's produced a lot of big stuff. What, what's his, how do I say his name? Michael Basquet. Is that how I say it? Yep. Uh, more notorious for Elvis or famous for Elvis. I'm not sure which, which way that goes. Elvis, uh, my Michael Elvis basket. Yeah. Uh, he goes by Elvis though. An incredible talent. Cause he's producing these bands that you said that you were a fan of like three days, grace and Chevelle and incubus. And so that must've been kind of surreal. Seven dust miles, Kennedy slash, like you name it. Yeah. That guy has, he has albums and engineering credits with um, everyone that has been successful in music. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure at least if, if it's not everyone, he might have missed three or four. But he's he's touched a lot of great music. And um, not gonna lie, I was a little I was a little worried when there was a a proposition for us to go and record with him because I was like, man what is this guy going to think of us? You know, like what can you bring to the table to a, to a man who's made my favorite musicians? You know what I mean? Like how do you, how do you sit down across from the table from a, a guy whom people you look up to, they look up to him. So it's like that, mm-hmm. that guy was at a different caliber and starting in the music. You don't know producers. Nobody knows producers. Nobody knows. I mean, as a, as a, I mean, you could probably ask since Britney Spears just got free, we'll use her as an example. Um, you would probably ask 90% of her fan base and they would have no clue who Max Martin is. And Max Martin was the man who made her hits hits. Hmm. He was he was a beast. Did he write him too, or he's just a producer? Writer, producer, uh, yeah, all of them. yeah. So, no, I think that's uh, a lot he, of those was, pop stars. They don't write the songs; someone else writes it and makes it, a, and then they just put their vocals on it. 
I mean, and, and Max Martin did it with, uh, you know, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, uh, 98 Degrees, The Weeknd, Justin Bieber. I mean, you name it. The hmm. guy has just pop hits out the yin-yang. And, and he came from a pop punk world, I believe, in Europe himself. So, mm. or not a pop punk, but like a punk rock world. Okay. So, huh. so um, yeah, you don't really know what a producer can can create or um, that, that or what they do. But then you start diving into their music and you're like, oh, well, I am a fan of the artist because the artist, you know, brought it on that particular occasion. However, the man who was building the house is is who I'm searching for. And I mm-hmm. had no clue. So he's then, shaping the music for you. Like he's 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 changing things. He's yeah, a hands on I mean, producer. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and he's 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 a great producer and a, um, a, an absolute A plus um, musician as well. So it, it was a it was an absolute pleasure to, to work with Elvis and, uh, and be a part of the studio where, um, he's made countless great records. Yeah. So then you go on tour, you do this resurrection tour with puddle of mud and saliva, uh, tantric and a veer union. That's a pretty big tour. I mean, at that point, did you feel like you'd kind of made it in a way? I mean, that's a huge step from, from, uh, you know, hustling CDs at the Walmart to all of a sudden on tour with puddle of mud and saliva. It was fun. That was a, that was a good time. It was a, it went by a lot faster than, than you would expect. Uh, we, we got to meet, you know, a ton of people got to play in some incredible, uh, arenas, large venues to sold out crowds and to watch some, some of my favorite songs, you know, growing up, be, be literally played live and blast it out. Although the reputation that uh, that Wes holds uh, with Puddle of Mud, um, he puts on a fantastic show, man. He's a, an absolute showman. He's 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 great at his job, and I think he actually went up in uh, <laughs> the 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 news articles recently for uh, walking off stage. And I saw that yesterday. Yeah, he like he was here. going like this or something with the lights, and then yeah, there was some sort of. I don't uh, know. Yeah, might have been too much for him. Uh, but hey, he wrote the hits. Turn the lights off. Man said, turn the lights, turn <laughs> the lights off. Yeah, he was giving shit to the lighting guy. But I'm like, can't he just put on some sunglasses? I Now I understand why those guys wear sunglasses on stage because the lights are so bright, right? Yeah, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll cook a pasty, dude. That's for sure. Like they, 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 they'll wreck me. Like, luckily I'm, I'm a ginger. So like, if I start to sweat at all, my skin's red regardless. So you can't even uh, see the sunburn that's, that's physically going on as the lamp lights are blazing down. But the LED, the LEDs are, they just seem like they're a, a thousand times brighter just because of, um, I guess technology at this oh, point okay. can just do so much with light. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. I don't well, know why the lighting well, guy wouldn't yeah. just do what he said. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, it's it's uh it's funny to see the comments. You see so many people like, "Oh, what a pansy! I can't believe you walked off stage." And then and then like it, then you think about it from from your your side of the the, the the stage, and then you're like, "This dude wrote wrote all the damn hits. He plays the guitar. He's singing. Let him be comfortable. Enjoy the damn show. Turn the lights off. Let him be in the silhouette if he wants to. Hmm. This guy, he brought all these people here, like." cater to him you know like, so did you have any interactions with him on that tour was he a pretty cool guy to you or he's a great guy i thought he was an awesome guy okay oddly enough like i i, I thought he was like super cool he always had a good conversation a funny story to tell and uh he was he was good to us i know that I, okay i did watch i did physically watch him um rip through 
a few humans. Um, I don't know if they were justified. That's not for me. What do you mean physically? Place. Like he beat the shit out of them or just like yell at them? Oh, I just yelled at okay. them and just watched their dignity just crumble on the floor as their feet uh, just like r- rippled across the, the pavement to leave. They're just like, <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean to piss you off. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but I mean, the the one time I did see that there was it was this drunk asshole early in the night was mm. at the show and uh, he had gotten to be a part of the uh, sound check, early entry sound check. And sound check is different from the show. You might not get a whole song. You might get a song that the radio would be playing, but the band is on stage just to check the monitors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you, and as a fan, you think that that's the band playing. It's clearly not the band playing. It's just a, it's a track. Mm. That, that they use to score the sound of uh, the the room's audio. It's just it's just procedure. Things okay, are, are sure. th- things are different um, for the clowns when the curtains close. So, in for for him, he was having a moment of, "What do you mean? This is not real. You guys are not even real musicians." And he was being a drunk asshole and like uh, West kind of ate him alive and. I laughed in that dude's face. It was not on purpose. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I was just born like that. (laughs) Funny. That was, it was funny for me. That's hilarious. Well, the song, um, sound the alarm. So that's, I think that's my favorite song by you guys. It's such a catchy song. It's got such a great hook. And that's why the reason I said yes to this interview, I was like checking you guys out. I was like, I wasn't aware of who you were. And then I, I, that's, I think that's the first song on Spotify. And I was like, this song is so good. Why isn't that song bigger though? Do you ever have those thoughts? Like, I, I know I probably ask every musician this, but I'm like, that song is so good. Why isn't that like a massive hit? You know, I don't know. I don't know either. And uh, I, I like to tell myself a lot that um, we just haven't been discovered yet. <laughs> because that I mean, song should have done it, though. I feel like that song should be in movies and TV and commercials and football games. And it's a great song. It, it, and it was a fun one. It was a fun one to write. It was a fun one to record. Um, you know, it, it's been a great success for us that the song has, but I'm, I'm with you. Um, it didn't even touch radio. The yeah. program directors didn't even tr- attempt to play it. That's didn't shocking even, to me. Yeah. That's weird. Care to listen to it. That, <clears throat> I also find those humans weird. So, yeah. Well, because, so, and Some of the things in the top ten, I'm looking around like this, this, that, this is the one that y'all chose. Wait, did you choose this one, or like how did this one come up? Yeah, I don't. Know. I never you- understand that. So, so let's talk about the new music you have. Is the you have three covers: uh, the Danger Zone, the Kenny Loggins song, uh, Jukebox Hero, which is a foreigner song, and then Separate Ways, which is Journey. So, how did you choose these three songs? Uh, via democracy. We just voted. Okay. And that's how it, yeah, that's how it came out. We um we we put a we put a bunch of songs in the hat. Um tried to try to choose from them. I I tried to dictate a lot of I'm singing them. We sure. all know them. It might as well be a little bit easy for me to sing so we could be fun mm-hmm. because they're cover songs. There's we're not trying to outdo the originals. Why would we? They're hits because the originals were hits. You know what I mean? Like Let's do it. Let's make it fun for us. And then the guys decided on some the, the three best 
damn singers in classic rock music. So I mean, they're they're jerks. Like my the guys in my band, they're just jerks. That's how that that's how that just rolled out. They were like, you know what we can do is uh is choose some of the best singers. That'll show him. Uh, Are those songs hard to sing? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. And and to put a little bit of a spin on them too, to to give them a little bit of. I guess modernization. You just just a just a touch of maybe not even modernization because they don't need it. Those they they hits they hits. Mm-hmm. So um, just to put you know my own, I guess voice into it. It just takes a bit to uh, to find where they came from, which where they came from was uh, legendary status, and and to tap into that world. Uh, yeah, they, they're they're tough songs to sing, but we we all just kind of voted on them. With we listened through and was like, hey, these will be fun. These would be fun. They were all inspirational songs growing up. Um, Danger Zone. We we played Footloose for so long live that when huh. we went to choose a different Kenny Loggins, or when we went to choose a song, Kenny Loggins came up, and I and we were like, "Hey, um, let's do Danger Zone instead of Footloose because we played Footloose live for so long, first forever, huh. forever." And sometimes we we. I mean, to be honest, if we were on stage right now and someone said it, we would do it because you got to give the people what they want. We're there, we're there to have a good time, too. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, Separate Ways was a song that was performed in front of us for one of the first times by a um, regional band, uh, national band, uh, a band called Joan Red uh, from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, their singer was one of the first voices I would say on a, on a level where it was, it was unmatched is literally unmatched. Like the, these guys were, were like garnering headway um, in the headlines and they, and the, their song, their original songs were incredible. They would do this journey cover that was absolutely mind blowing. And then, you know, uh, unfortunately um, he, he passed away. And that song kind of became memorialized for us. You know, every time I would hear it, I would think of, of Anthony and man that like he was an inspiration because he was not at the top of the charts. It was not selling out theaters and arena yet. Their band was unmatched. Like you could not play a show in the same room with them and expect your night to go as well as theirs did. Because, what band I mean, was this was, again? Sorry. Uh, the band, band called Joan Red. Joan Red. Okay. From, uh, yeah, from Memphis, Tennessee. Incredible band, man. They had great songs and uh, they were an inspiration. Um, ended up turning us on to a lot more of uh, touring efforts and they were kind enough to us to, uh, to pull us in and, and show us a little bit of the ropes and help us understand a, a few different things that we didn't naturally know. So, uh, they, uh, we, we decided to record that song, uh, put it out there and uh, just to, just to rememorialize a, um, an event in our lives that inspired us to become better musicians. And, uh, I'm a huge fan of journey as it would be. So that was an easy fit for me. I did, uh, it was, that was a, a song that I'd, I'd known forever, you know, and was a fan of it because of Joan Red. but then the band, journey um i had been a a fan of for a long time as well i could have went through a full catalog of uh, journey songs to do but that one was chosen then uh heath our drummer 
loves jukebox hero by a foreigner so that that's how huh. all those songs kind of really came into play. that's cool now will you do all three live or you just pick and choose different ones every night or just pick one of the songs to do every night yeah we, we'll go through we'll, we'll play you know like i was saying earlier just give the people what they want yeah. they want to hear all three of them okay we'll do all three of them they want to hear all originals we'll do all originals you want to hear something we, we never played before you know write it down on a hundred dollar bill hand it to me i'll do it. <laughs> whatever okay cool so you're the work yeah, so you like you know you've done the festival, you did played a rock fest. Do you like those big festivals, like or opening on a tour, or do you like headlining? What what do you like best? Um, it depends on the night, really. For me, mm. it depends on the night. You know, I've had incredible times uh, at rock fest. Rock fest was and just a super super good time, and then you know, to, to even smaller festivals. I had a great, great time at uh, several different smaller festivals. And then to be a support act on someone else's tour or, or, a you know, co-headlining tour. Uh, th- those are, those are fun in different ways because you're able to uh, have a continuation mm. of camaraderie hmm. with a different yeah. band and continue to play and then writing takes a whole different spin from there. So you can like jam with other bands and stuff like that. And, it's always good to, to to share that with um, with another band. So that that's a little bit more of a depth in touring that makes it interesting for longevity. But then, uh, you know, headlining a show to where we can play for an hour and a half of our of our own type stuff that right there in itself is a that's a little different. So they that they all hit, you know, a little different. Yeah. Um, so. I, I, I wouldn't really say that one would be over the other because there's also you know negatives to those things as well to to be a band whom whom hasn't had a you know a top 10 hit we're probably going to be in a major festival at the beginning sure. of the day rather than the end of the night where most people are there hammered and ready ready to just like ball out so um and, and then again, uh, three nights in a row of playing an hour and a half to two two hours on the third or fourth night. My voice has been fatigued. My body oh, is yeah. fatigued. And then you are walking into a Saturday night of 300 people who've been busting their ass all week. And yeah. they're there for some <laughs> entertainment. And all you can give them is... 75 percent at a hundred percent you give them every bit but um you just you just worn out so you know there's uh there's yin and yangs to all those things mm-hmm. no that makes sense okay so yeah so because spotify you guys have uh i mean it's over one hundred fifty thousand followers so does that translate into like bigger concerts and and uh festivals and 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 uh, merch sales and all that kind of stuff like do you, you i think you said you had a booking agent though so maybe they're using that to get on some of these tours and festivals we did we don't have a booking agent um at at the at the particular moment the mm. pandemic allowed us to take a backseat to touring and playing shows to where i've just uh me, the the guys in the band, and the you know the management team have been working on booking our own shows at this oh, okay. point. Just because they're they're few and far between, uh, we're just extremely selective right now because of the climate that we're in. Uh, as far as like um, public occasions go or events, so that those are all those are hmm. those have been kind of weird. 
Is it so? Or, it's, are shows still being? Because like, I'm in Arizona and I feel like concerts are happening here. I, I went to Guns N' Roses a couple months ago and it was like it was like nothing had ever happened. Like the, nobody wore a mask or anything. And I don't know. Yeah, they're 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 happening over here too. It's just so difficult to string together, you know, five shows in one week for four weeks to make that mm. a profitable adventure. Okay. Um, and, and then to know for sure that it's going to be a continuation after those, you know, four weeks is done, you come home for a week or two and then you, you're back out and do it again. Um, it, this, that, that particular foundation is, is still a little shaky um, for Guns N' Roses, not too shaky at all because <laughs> they could just like play two shows, cancel the rest of the tour, go home, yeah, not miss it, not miss a single bill. <laughs> true, true, yeah, no, that's. And did you, I mean, because the other thing is, you could do is you could. I mean, if you're going to put your together your own thing, you could either do headlining stuff or you can do a joint tour, like get on with an, a bigger band or or just even having multiple bands. Isn't that that gets you more people through the door, right? If you bring your fans and then you get another band, they bring their fans and then. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's definitely an option, but, um, we're just in a writing phase right now that, that gives us, uh, the, the leisure and luxury to not have to play as many shows and we can, we can work on, you know, the music that is to come. Okay. And when will this new album or new music be out besides the the covers are out now, but the one stuff you're writing. Yeah. So we, we released, uh, those three covers in an effort of, uh, just content continuation and creation. We, you know, we had created our first full length original album with saints and sinners. And off the back end of that, we was, we was like, Hey, let's, um, let's go touch some of the stars for a little bit. And then let's get back to writing our own stuff. We released the third one of that being danger zone and jumped right into the studio to write some original music where I think that we would, I think I'd probably say we're about 35, 40% into the creating field of the, of, of another album. However, um, it might take a, a few more months to get to the halfway point with the holidays and stuff being here. So I would expect maybe we would start seeing, um, some, some actual, uh, course traction or in tracking, on a new album, maybe the first quarter of next year, um, maybe released, uh, releasing the first single in the summer of, of next year. I'm okay. not too sure though. Okay. I'm not sure. Doesn't sound too bad. Would now, would you use, change. are you going to use the same producer Elvis? Or are you going to use, use a different producer? Um, you know, uh, we, we haven't, we haven't made contact with, with Elvis for, for a new recording. Um, he's quite the professional. So in my, in my opinion, I would probably wait until I had some gold in my pocket before I presented it. Okay, you know, to uh, to some legendary status. But uh, I'm not sure who the producer will be um, coming up on the next one. It really just depends on how the songs start coming out. Right now, the songs are are uh, just starting to flow, and I, I kind of look at it as a um, as an old faucet. Yeah, you know, uh, you just wait till the till the water starts to, to run clear before you start to fill up your fill up your bucket so that's that's where we're at right now just uh treading through some muddy water yeah have you ever heard of a uh, producer jim kaufman 
Jim Kaufman. Yeah, he so he produced the Black Moods and Moon Fever, some of these other uh like he's another one to keep in mind. I think he's a really good producer. I had him on the show. But have you heard of the Black Moods? They're, they're a big Arizona band. Okay, I have not. No. Yeah, you have I'll, to check them out. Them. Check them I, out. I check out Moon Fever. Like, yeah, he's he's done some really good work with some really cool uh modern sounding bands. Or what are you listening to? What what are some modern uh, or newer bands that you're listening to right now? Uh, you know, I've been jamming to the score lately. Um, it's a, it's a, that's a pop rock type band, uh, motivational type band, but they're, they're, uh, the dude's voice is just so like clean and crusty at the same time. It's just good. Hmm. Um, but then, uh, I, I picked up Daughtry's latest album recently. I was, I was, I was digging into that. Uh, I like that a pretty good bit. Um, <clears throat> You know, I, I can't really say that there's a that there's there's been a just a lot that I've listened to as far as new stuff goes. Just because of uh, in the creating realm, I try to keep a fresh brain of um, of what I want versus what I like. You know sure. what I mean? So uh, I, I try to try to stay within my own headspace uh, during the writing phase. I think that's where I'm at now. So okay. I, I haven't I haven't listened to it to a ton of stuff. No, that's cool. Recently. That's that's good. Well, I look forward to new music and hopefully new shows at some point. So, well, thanks so much for doing this. Um, I do like to end each episode with a charity uh, of your, of your choosing. If there's something you want to give a quick shout out to, if there's a cause that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Toys for tots. If it's, if, okay. we, if we got that one, the, yeah. uh, I really like that one. Man. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I'll put your website in there and then um, if people have a few extra bucks, they can um, throw some money towards uh, toys for tots. Now you guys have, cause you guys have a website, right? Where people can buy like shirts and merch and stuff. Yeah. Shallowside.net. That's the okay. easiest place to find us. You can find all the stuff right there. Awesome. I'll put that in the notes along with the toys for tots. So thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, bud. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Sure. Bye. Okay, thank you again to Eric for doing the show. Make sure to follow Eric and Shallowside on social media to get updates and figure out what they're up to. Uh, check out their websites in the show notes. Uh, you can check that for tour dates, new music and merchandise. And you can also stream their new covers on Spotify or wherever you listen to music. Uh, great stuff, good songs, good band. Uh, if you want to support my show, the easiest thing you can do is just hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening or watching. And of course, your likes, comments, and shares on social media and YouTube, those also help me out quite a bit. And any reviews that you can write on Apple Podcasts, that also helps me out a lot. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And remember to shoot for the moon. 